millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <sighs> The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 166 of the No Encore Music Podcast. And that's right, I've got a bit of a head cold slash flu situation going on, as does our special guest this week, George Morahan. Hello, Valo Margulis. Welcome back oh, to the very show. nicely teamed. George is our, uh, cashing in your Money in the Bank briefcase here for your once a year appearance on the show. That's right, yep. <laughs> and Craig Fitzpatrick's here every week. Hey, what's up? I never leave. I'm enjoying the dulcet tones we've got going on. Well, not so much me, but you guys, you ill people. Fluoridal tones. <laughs> That's about the height you're getting from me this week, I'm afraid. Um, I should note, uh, before we progress with this week's show, uh, this is our last regular show, kind of, for a couple Ever. weeks. Ever. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Now my watch has ended, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> uh, next week, Craig and I are jetting off to the wilds of Norway. I'm looking forward to it. Are you? Uh, You'd fucking want to actually, be. Actually, it's a bit long, to be honest, but we'll make the most of it. <laughs> Have we ever been... We've never been abroad together. No, we've done festivals and such. But Not yeah. Yeah. The fjords together. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I would rather like. I'm, I'm glad that we have uh, people in our party, though. It's not just me and you, because it could. Get, really? Yeah. Do you think that'd be? You never. No, a few the, things would come out. <laughs> these things are acid tests. Like if you spend a prolonged amount of time with somebody, I'm sure it'd be great, though, buddy. Yeah. So that's the next last week. eight years have been fine. So <laughs> yeah, adequate, I would say. So uh, that's next week, and that means that we won't be here. Dahi is not coming to the wedding, as noted, because we've been ribbing him for that. He is playing Forbidden Fruit. Go see him at Forbidden Fruit if you're going. But he is also 
also been hard at work on a very special edition of the show, and it actually for once is a very special edition of the show, because effectively, Dahi's gone full documentarian slash journalist on this one, I'm very proud of the boy. Um, he's spoken to three successful Irish producers and composers that work in fields that we almost never talk about on this show. Uh, from blockbuster film trailers to AAA video games, a whole world of music that is constantly around us on a daily basis. And uh, he, uh, his interest was piqued. Uh, he took his opportunity to seize the studio for a week, and yeah. he is he's delivering this package together. Uh, I've heard I've heard some snippets from this, and I must say he's raised his game, Craig. I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea, and he's he's quite the sonic architect himself, like our own Eve Murray. So I'm sure it will be tremendously well packaged and a bit terrifying how professionally done it is when we're away. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, again, from from what I've heard, I actually was like, this might be too good. Yes, that yeah. was my concern. So um, that's we next can always week. get rid of them. That's next week. Yeah. So no regular format next week. We're back the week after that, first week of June, in which we'll have a full wedding report. And hopefully it won't be like the red wedding of Game of Thrones, am I right? Oh, oh. yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh. We'll be talking about that. Five-year-old spoiler alert. <laughs> Don't want that. So, yeah. They all die. Uh, the, uh, the week after, when, when, when we resume normality on the show, uh, we're going to welcome in Kabina a producer that we've mentioned before is based in Amsterdam from Ireland. He's just dropped his Four Poems EP. I want you to go check that out if you haven't. It's really, really good. He'll be guesting on the show and also hopefully that week it will depend entirely on if I get my act together from a writing point of view. Uh, Finally, an interview I've been chasing for a very long time, Dermot Kennedy. I sat down with him about a week ago for approximately 45 minutes and had a very lengthy chat with the guy and I thought it was really, really good. I'm going to write that up for Joe, who I work for, as you know. I'm currently working on that feature. I kind of want them to run concurrently and thus mm-hmm. one will come out before the other. The written feature will come out first, then the audio. Hopefully I can get it all done before we go to Norway. If so, we'll have that on the following And week. you have to buy a suit. We're going suit shopping this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be great, isn't it? <laughs> I'm very excited about my one day off being a fucking shopping Hanging man. out with Craig? Bit of retail therapy, are you kidding me? You've, you've talked up your, <laughs> your personal shopper skills here. <laughs> I'm looking for a new career. Uh, <laughs> Is it going to be okay? Yeah, it's going to be great. Are you a suit man, George? Uh, not really. I had to buy one last year. I went real cheap with it. <laughs> I'm okay with going cheap. Like, as long as it looks good. Yeah. I can imagine the thing. montage now, you two. Just shoot, shoot shopping, you know. It's going to be great. Uh, the they, wacky there adventures will, there will be zero filming um, so yeah that's pretty much it apart from that a uh, quick announcement important announcement of course Slipknot's volume 3 this is Bimble Versus has just turned 15 years of age as of you listening to this podcast a uh, spectacular album in any genre a 5 star affair if you ask me 5 stars, five stars yeah. oh it's a perfect album yeah there are no perfect albums we've talked about this before Okay. Well, I, am I not allowed to go? I thought the whole thing was that you go back and you 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 slap a retrospective perfect fair, ten. Fair. Okay. Fine. <laughs> perfect <laughs> ten. Fifteen years later, I think that's enough time. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. What's right. what's your beef? Go on. I agree. What songs are on that one? Duality. Okay. Yeah. The that's blister great. exists. Great. Yeah. Uh, before I forget. Oh yeah. Stone Cold Classic. Million Part Two. That was definitely a uh, one song that was on my mate's phone for like two years straight <laughs> playing it in public places oh nice yeah see everyone got a boss everyone got touched by it and we all got touched as well for the last time <laughs> by Messrs Benioff and Weiss yeah. so yeah uh, I did a podcast I cheated on the encore this week I'm on uh, Joe have a podcast uh, hosted by Carl Kinsler and former guest of this show former guest host of this show Michael Fry it's called The North Awaits if you like Game of Thrones and like people talking about Game of Thrones they've done a six episode podcast and one more to go actually on that one kind of a wrap up and I was on the sixth one assessing the finale and the show's impact you can go listen to that now but also, here's some bonus. I'm going to talk about it again for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Ooh. All right. Unleash the cats. 
Okay, so it's over. Um, I've had a couple of days to think on it. Um, my initial reaction while it was on was, eh, this is fine. <laughs> I'm extremely disappointed. There's some kind of awful bits. Some of it kind of makes sense. I think I'm growing to appreciate it, though, the more I think about it. Uh, I think after this whole season, I just, I just... You're done. Kind of... <laughs> how should I say it? I kind of gave it a free pass. I'm like, yeah, I'm yes. just going to let this wash over me. All oh, this is happening. Don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of similar. I, again, I'm kind of wary of hogging the mic here because, like I say, I've already done a show mm. and I go check it out. But ultimately, I just didn't really care about the end of it. Even, like, I was contemplating writing a piece on it with, like, a very provocative headline of Game of Thrones was bad for years. But I couldn't even muster up the, the interest to do this because by the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm sure we all got up very early to watch it. No, I waited until Monday evening, avoiding spoilers. Did you successfully I did. avoid I spoilers? I successfully did, yeah. Um, okay. And I kind of guessed exactly what was going to happen anyway. Did so you guess like, Bran on the throne? Yeah, I thought it'd be Bran, to be honest. Well, you know, I watched it early to avoid spoilers, but I mean, that's one element of it. But it's pretty good that the show was still able to retain, in, like, I felt like I had to watch it, like, just for myself yeah, at that time. That's a fair day, point. You know? Yeah, it never really, as bad as it became, it was never one of those shows where you're just like, eh, I'll catch up with it on DVD at some point. Do you know what I mean? It was still event watching. Well, I got spoiled on The Red Wedding by not not actually watching it week to week. So uh, since then, I've had to watch it as soon as possible. But I agree with Dave's point that it has been a fundamentally uneven show uh, during its run. It's nine years on the air, is it? Eight yeah, or nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they took a year off, but I mean, like, like kind of Glastonbury style. But I mean, essentially, <laughs> I don't think they could have done anything that would have made me go, yeah, like, this was great. No. They backed themselves into such a corner. They wrote themselves into such a fucking horrible mess of a corner that I guess they took the cleanest way out and did the best they could. It just didn't have any impact for me. It was kind of like, yeah, right. like, you know, like, this is a pop culture moment and that's cool. And obviously there's a bit of intoxication towards that. But by the end of this whole show, I didn't care about anybody in it. I mean, there's been a sense this whole past two seasons I would say of working from an end, end point and going backwards yeah so when you throw out that logic and that kind of character agency out the window and you just it's just events happening <laughs> we're just doing shit. yeah it was like with every death you could almost sense the character themselves being like yeah my time's up the show's wrapping so I guess I just die now or I guess I just do this it was just yeah it became like racing towards the finish line so many things happening like why is this happening it's like oh because David Benioff and D.B. Weiss wanted to happen and <laughs> I couldn't there's no fucking Braun alright let's get into it Braun on the small council really Bron- master of coin Braun who didn't know how loans and interest works quite recently <laughs> I believe no consequences for him as well basically. oh yeah the worst dude well not the worst dude in that world but not a good dude he should have died saving Jamie um, from loot train battle as it's called yeah really. yeah yeah meanwhile saving Jamie Right, that moment where Tyrion goes in and it's like, oh, of course it's the hand. You're waiting for the golden hand to discover his siblings, one of whom he never liked. And he has a breakdown. There's like the smallest pile of bricks. Okay, bricks that would still kill you, but from the scene before, it was like the entire kind of thing was collapsing in on itself. There was no escape. No, if Jamie, they'd Jamie, moved five feet, <laughs> they would have survived. Like Jamie led Cersei to the literal the worst point in that dungeon. <laughs> stayed there and got... <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of, of I've been on. enjoying some of the kind of the YouTube dissections and people kind of saying that like a character like Arya became invincible and had so yeah. much plot armor that like it was just kind of pointless by the end of it and that is kind of true. They just fucked it, man. They just fucked all the characters. I, I think all the good characters kind of left around a certain point, or you know, if they stayed there, they you know 
Aaron Eckhart and the Dark Knight style lived long enough to see themselves <laughs> become terribly written. Yeah, <laughs> I like Brienne's writing Jamie's story. That was great. Story I, the I, 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 was, I got really It emotional. was just the right amount of cheese. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that got me. I a lot, really yeah. think she should have died during the Battle of Winterfell. So Honestly. many people should have died. <laughs> oh, yeah, during I mean, that I mean, I mean <laughs> considering how obsolete her ending was, like, if you really want to put the Army of the Dead over, as it were, wrestling term, I believe. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> you should have killed like somebody like Brienne, probably. Uh, lads, Beric Dondarrion went down in that battle. Oh, Christbows. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. I just it, It's frustrating. It's been really fun to kind of see a lot of the actors flat out be like, yeah, you know, what a mess that was by the end day. Yeah. Eh? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Seeing Peter Dinklage on that red carpet being like, oh, you're in for it. <laughs> he was really good in the final episode. I, to be fair, I thought all the actors brought it for the most part. Yeah. Emilia Clark was really good. She was yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. I was like, after she converted to like a fascist dictator, I was like, oh my god, where was all this charisma? Watching like, she's her, great all season. Watching actually. her on Drogon about to burn down the whole King's Landing. Uh, I mean, like, go for it. So, I mean, <laughs> when that op- episode opened and you see her, like, oh. <laughs> she looks terrible yeah. I think there's an easy enough fix here I think the way it should have been was especially with the truncated final seasons which obviously were like a huge problem with this because you have season 8 is 6 episodes long and it's 3 episode act 1 3 episode act 2 act 1 is kind of in slow motion until the big battle yeah. and then act 3 or act 2 sorry is on fucking like 5x speed I think if they had done a thing where like let's say season 7 ended with the the battle and yeah. the night king getting killed and maybe there's some hints at like Danny turning a little bit and you're kind of like fuck, we're going into the final season, Cersei's the final threat, but is she the real final threat? Yeah, and maybe yeah. have like Davos and Tyrion and Varys and Jon kind of being like, maybe we can trust her. I, d- I don't know what plot device you would use to put that in there, but something to plant the seeds. Mm. Night King has gone off the table and the entire season six mm. is about this. Yeah. And you, you build to, you get more scenes with fucking Cersei. Like, God bless uh, Lena Headey's agent for getting her half million dollars to look out of a fucking window and drink, drink wine. Some wine yeah. And that's it. And also, what a waste of a great actor. She's amazing. Like, mm. you go back to the, like, I mm. went back to watch the Power is Power speech from season one mm. with Littlefinger and it's kind of funny because Aiden Gillen you'd even... miss Littlefinger as well that no, accent no, come anyway, on well. even in season one even in season one his accent is hilarious yeah. like because it goes more and more and more but even like that scene where you watch him talk and he's like and maybe brothers and sisters who like to play together and then it's just like yeah but she's amazing and got nothing to do if they had a space it out properly and built it well I think people wouldn't have the backlash that they did yeah like, like the, the end points made sense but yeah there was no natural build for yeah, a lot of them yeah it was like okay start point three question marks end point mm. yeah. <laughs> but um uh what, what's your theory about it do you think just D&D wanted to go off and make Star Wars? Yeah, or... 100%. They got that Star Wars money. But what about the rest of the actors? Like, You see, that's what I was Kit thinking. Did Harrington want to do like 55 of, more yeah, night None shoots? of the actors have been blamed. I'm sure there was some of them that are like, oh, I don't know if I'll sign the contract. There must have been those considerations as well. Possibly. Right? It's a huge show. It, it, yeah, and, it's and a I huge think, commitment. I think something like, you know, that petition that's been doing the rounds of like, let's remake it with over a million signatures. Yeah, that's disgraceful. It's really disrespectful, as people have kind of been saying, you know, it's maybe an obvious thing to say, but like, if you look at the work they went into, for example, episode five, mm. it's nuts. <laughs> like, the amount of work Every that went Everything in. about it is spectacular, except for the writing. Exactly. <laughs> every every aspect of this show is still spectacular, yeah. except for, as you say, there's that meme of, uh, you know, that Key and Peele speech, uh, sketch where, uh, where Obama's like, Shaking hands of everybody. Oh, you know, yeah, just yeah, ignores yeah. all the white people. <laughs> just, uh, I can't really explain it well, but it's David Benioff and D.B. Weiss at the end. <laughs> he just ignores <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done, everyone else. <laughs> you failed us. Um, they really screwed it up. Uh, I think, ultimately, it's one of those shows that... It, it's really fascinating to see how, how hard people turned on it. Because, obviously... 
we live now in the, in the social media era. I wonder if Lost was was around at this time. Would it be the same? Probably. There was a big backlash yeah. against Lost. There was, yeah. And that, um, was, that was a pop culture event where, again, I stayed up until five in the morning, you know, to see it, all yeah. that kind of thing. I remember texting a friend of mine at the end of it being like, well, that was fucking sucked, didn't it? But I don't <laughs> think people felt they had the kind of almost agency or power on social media where they could mm. just be like, rally against it. And do you know what I mean? There's been I so mean, many shows brought back because yeah. of, you know, mass support and then cancel and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Damon Lindelof went in a bunker after uh, last guy went off the air, so um, which was definitely defi- affected yeah. him because, like the leftovers, which I think is an absolute masterpiece, was not really met with open arms, and mm. people don't trust it, and you can understand why to a degree. But resurrected television shows are all the rage, guys. The Deadwood movie is imminent. Yeah, mm. that's a fucking show. I need to catch up on that. Yeah, that's a fucking. That'll make show. a good movie, right? They won't mess that up. I don't think so. I read a really good interview with Timothy Oliphant today in which he kind of was saying that he wished it was episodes rather than a movie because he was just wondering, are we kind of fucking this up by not letting it just breathe? Mm. And that's the Game of Thrones problem. It didn't breathe in the last few seasons. The characters weren't really characters. They were just people that we recognize who were doing mm. things. They're all just moving forward around the map. They were chess pieces. And it is that thing of like, all right, and now a series wrap on Euron, a series yeah. wrap on Ser Jorah. Let's just get them Look, off the fucking I even waste time with Euron. <laughs> No one gives a shit about it. They wasted so much time, like, looking back because they had to rush it so much. Um, Yeah, the biggest emotional impact for me in the last episode was probably Drogon, and I think that says it all. Drogon was legit, man. (laughs) He recognised the the symbology of the chair. (laughs) Destroying the throne. He's in very good grasp on metaphor. (laughs) I was like, I'm out. I also love um, at the end when they're like, where is he? It's like, he's out there somewhere. Yeah. I'll find him. All right, we're nearly wrapped, but will we watch the prequels that are coming up? No. Uh, I might do. I'll dip in and probably dip straight back I still have got the books to finish it as well. I think it was a real moment in time, that story. I don't care so much about the world. No, yeah, I think we've seen enough of it. And also, I just kind of feel like I don't... I'm going to give fantasy a break for a while. Yeah. Let's try a bit There will be another big show, though, that unites us. I know there's been a lot of uh, kind of consternation being like, is this the end of the the monoculture? What's going to unite us like this? But there will always be something that gets the world's attention all at once. All right, well, we'll see. For example, Beyonce, Craig, I know we're out of the Game of Thrones section, but you did write something down about this. Yeah, um, Amelia Clark was just reacting to, I guess, the public's reaction to the show um, and, you know, her character's turn, which I guess is no huge spoiler, but she was talking about meeting Beyonce. Um, She says she met her at an Oscars after party um, and she saw this vision, this angel, this incredible woman floating towards me. Uh, She said she couldn't control herself and Beyonce said, oh my goodness, so wonderful to meet you I think you're brilliant Um, basically she says she was on the verge of tears and then after all was said and done with Game of Thrones she was wondering how Beyonce felt about everything which is a huge burden for any actor or person to have on their shoulders right what does Beyonce think of my work but a huge burden as well for like and there are Irish ones as well the the numerous people around the world who named their child Daenerys or Khaleesi in the last few years Wait until it finishes, guys. <laughs> Did you see that tweet the other day? He's like, forget about Daenerys. What about all the kids who named their, their son Big Pussy Boppin' Zero <laughs> before he turned it informant? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, maybe Daenerys felt a bit kind of safe. You probably wouldn't have gone with Joffrey. I was actually forgetting that we've, myself and yourself, Dave, have interviewed three of the major villains in Game of Thrones. Have we? Yeah. I've interviewed Jack Leeson, yeah. Yeah. Who I interviewed? interviewed Aidan Gillen Me and too. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. <laughs> oh, oh and go, George, yeah. yeah. Ed Sheeran's coming back. He's releasing an album on my birthday of, co- of collaborations. Just for you? Just for Is me. it like a private release or will it be... I think he's making it public, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And he's going out into well, the world. We'll look forward to that. Also public is Moby's cancellation <laughs> by, by his, his own, own hand. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, Craig? <laughs> 
Oh my god, the audacity of Moby. Um, yeah, he's got a new memoir out. His second, apparently, Then It Fell Apart, which um, recounts his kind of wild years after a play exploded and he talked a lot about his drug use and his dating history, um, which included, apparently, um, him dating Natalie Portman when she was 20, as he said. People kind of did the maths and figured out she was 18. He was, I think, 33. Um, he basically went into this thing of saying he tried to have her as his girlfriend. They had some kissing and stuff. Didn't really work out. But, you know, it was all grand. Natalie Portman came out quite quickly and said she found the account disturbing um, and that she didn't re- remember them dating whatsoever, just a kind of older guy being very creepy. Um, You're skipping over some of the details here. Okay, well, we can get into the details. They're all outlined. There's huge chunks of this book on her running order, and it's making me feel a bit well, weird. The reason I mentioned that you skipping over the details is because it, the way this is written yeah. is... Moby is so far up his own arse. He talks about kissing her, kissing her under centuries-old oak trees in New York or whatever, and then like going back to her dorm room. And yeah, at midnight she brought me to her dorm room, and we lay down next to each other on her small bed. After she fell asleep, I carefully extracted myself from her arms and took a taxi back to my hotel. And it continues on in that fashion. I read the new Thomas Harris book, his first oh, book yeah. in thirteen years. Okay, uh, the author of Hannibal, the creator of Hannibal Lecter, the author of Red Dragon, Sons of Lambs, Hannibal, Hannibal Rising. You know, you know him. Mm-hmm. Famous recluse, doesn't do interviews, has a new book randomly. Yes. It's not good. Okay. It's it's very badly written to the point where I'm kind of shocked it's him. And that, which contains... Moby was ghostwriting it. <laughs> no, which contains lurid depictions of women and, and, and oh, her response right. was, was easier to swallow than some of this Moby stuff. But this isn't necessarily new. I remember like reading Q magazine in like 2000 and whatever, and there was references to, you know, oh, Moby, like, you know, he was with Natalie Portman and... You know, he, he, yeah. he's, he's a bit of a, like, I, um, what's the word here? The word creep is doing the rounds, but, like, <laughs> definitely someone who, a womanizer, I suppose. Yeah, a womanizer, yeah. a seducer of younger women, in particular, it seemed, uh, after he got fame. He just, like, from all of this, he just seems a bit oblivious. No more so than when he, then, after Natalie Portman released her statement and everyone else probably would have crawled under a rock and died, uh, he came back with a bang to Instagram with a photo, of them photographic together. evidence. Him topless, Him topless, like, gurning like mad after show her looking not all that happy to be there I don't know you can't read too much into a photo um, but he basically was saying uh, like I'm sorry that Natalie feels that we didn't date but we did in fact she, she can't change her romantic history and he says <laughs> I have photo evidence to corroborate this oh god some of the headlines that came from that particular post were just amazing like just broadsheet newspapers running stuff like Moby is adamant he dated Natalie Moore it's just like let it go mate there's also passages about him um, having a kind of romantic uh, tryst with um, Lana Del Rey very nice before use of tryst was, <laughs> thank you way. thank you when she was just Lizzie Grant and she was 20 years old and he was 40 I believe and he recalls her basically saying that like you're the man you're an awful guy from Connecticut you're a wasp you have like a five story apartment and you'll be the first like in the guillotine when the revolution comes and then he follows it up with I didn't know if she was insulting me or I a took compliment. it as a compliment yeah I took it as a compliment <laughs> It's deeply oblivious, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like he's got a signed first edition of the game lying around his gaff. Oh, yeah, very much reads like Yeah, that. look, it's one of those things. I mean, a lot of people are cancelling him outright and saying he's a bit creepy. I don't disagree, mm. you know, but I don't like cancel culture either. Yeah, and I, there's levels to all this. I don't think he belongs in it's just, still it's, far in a no, category it's, it's, of it's other... It's your classic, like, you know, like, smoking area guy, like, who's very much, like, you know, clearly a little bit older and has influence and power. 
I think one of the Lana Del Rey aspects was that he was kind of like, do you have a manager record deal? I could probably get yeah. you one of those. That's kind of mm, classic story. Yeah. And he kind of, um, the way that the Lana Del Rey one ends when he's uh, he's describing, you know, how they part, because they kiss apparently. Oh yeah. I'm going to read this. Yeah, do please. Uh, please do. <laughs> he described her early song that she was playing as haunting, saying her voice was dark but strong. And they kissed or whatever and she kind of was like I hear, I like you but I hear you do this with a lot of people I wanted to lie to tell her that I didn't that I was chaste sane and ethical but I said nothing I'd like to see you again she said <laughs> me too he said ironically not knowing at the time then he says <laughs> <laughs> not knowing at the time what those words would come to mean uh, <laughs> I walked her downstairs to the 29th floor and kissed her goodnight at the bank of the elevators this wasn't how I imagined the night ending. I'd assumed that we would end up christening my new apartment with vodka and sex. But to my Just su- the way Jesus intended. <laughs> but to my surprise, this was almost nicer. That is the almost. giveaway for me. Because I'm like, yeah, like, you're gross. Now, nah, look, listen. like this. Also, is- sorry, can, for someone that, like, talks about how he was a binge drinker throughout all these years and just a crazy party animal, he remembers, like, exact quotes and <laughs> recollections from things with incredible accuracy. Maybe he worked with just some guy who was like, we need to sex this up, Moby. Then again, he did say that thing that, that he's got mates in the FBI who he casually goes to dinner with and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. It's like the secret life of Walter Mitty, except horrific. Considering how he frames these would-be flings with teenagers in such <laughs> flowery, chivalrous language, I, I, like it's clear. <laughs> I've got the awful. photos, mate. <laughs> yeah, and then defending it. <laughs> yeah, he seems just totally oblivious. I guess yeah. I don't know from a different era. I saw a lot of people um quote using Eminem as like a kind of white knight who was like, oh, Eminem, New Years ago, like qu- quoting how he was like too old and blah blah blah. I no one listens to techno. That that lyric contains the use of the f word. It's like massively homophobic, and people are just like, Eminem knew Moby was no good. I saw a tweet the other day, like with extracts from Moby's book, and it's basically all these extracts of him kind of. Uh, criticizing Eminem and the caption was let's give Moby his flowers while he's still here oh really this is like days before he was uh, out as being a serial creep I guess yeah did anybody read because uh, this also was brought up because apparently there's this whole cult of uh, like musicians or artists who think that Natalie Portman was their girlfriend for a while have you read the and this is the official title of this New York magazine article from 2016? The emails of Jonathan Safran Foer and Natalie Portman. Yeah, okay. uh, I haven't, but I've heard something about him and her. Yeah, I was dipping in and out when you sent me the link. It's literally was, them emailing each other. Yeah, and apparently they had done this. They for both years seem insufferable. I must say. This is the thing. I mean, everyone's kind of being like, "Oh, Natalie Portman," but like, I'm like, I think she's guilty as well. In as much as she seems like a fucking pretentious dick, as like on top of all of this, mm. I'm not in any way suggesting that like Moby did not take advantage of a young girl because he clearly fucking did. Yeah. allegedly, don't sue me. But <laughs> Natalie Portman to me has always come across as someone who's just like quite waspish herself. Like I'm just oh, like yeah. I don't really, like. There's nothing there for me to connect to really. But the Jonathan Safran Foer stuff and her going back and forth and basically trying to out-fucking my dinner with Andre each other it, in the form of electronic mail <laughs> is... Ins- it's so unbearable. Is it I act- can't believe I read it. Is it actually true, that rumour that George was alluding to? I don't think it's a suable rumour. What rumour? <laughs> that he left his wife because he thought like they were going to run off together and she was just like, no, I'm not I haven't chased that up. My so, only experience yeah. of Jonathan Safran Foer is... That might have been a rumour. Well, my only uh, experience of Jonathan Safran Foer is trying to read... Uh, is it Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close? Is that what it's called? Oh, is that Incredibly Loud and Extremely Close or something? Oh, yeah, that's the... I think about... It was adapted into a film, It was, it? yeah. I, th- I think I got about 20 pages into it and I was like, this isn't for me. So, like, I don't know. And if you read the, the emails to them, like, he's he writes his emails like an author would write them, like, you know, yeah. and 
she seems to be very enamored by him and also like but again it's that thing of you can just i don't know i don't want to like suggest anything but it seemed one-sided in a certain way yeah the whole thing is a fucking <laughs> mess here's the question will you read moby's book for journalism oh yeah i think i will now yeah no, I've no I'm, I'm interested because it sounds excruciating and it sounds it sounds like a kind of partridge desk thing of just like a man with no self-awareness just trying to sex up his own life and be pretentious with it. Yeah. So, yeah. so listen, um, you were very defiant at the weekend when you said, no, lads, I am watching the Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I stand by that. Europop over morals, over ethics. Um, I did not watch it. <laughs> listener um but if i had have watched it i would have seen a freedom fighter on stage um madam x as she's known <laughs> madonna to some people that aren't with it like we are um but yeah madonna did her thing and um did we did we do her dirty considering she came out and protested no <laughs> no this is ridiculous i mean i didn't watch the eurovision i will say that it was on on a television on mute in the office when i worked at the weekend until i realized what was on and then i was like oh shit am i giving this ratings i don't know but I did see Quavo from Migos yeah. there, and I saw I, I was like, "Is that Quavo?" And I like <laughs> I took it off mute because I and then the guy was like, "Quavo, it's your first time with the Eurovision." And I was like, "It is. Way, it's Quavo." <laughs> the way you said that was like you were going down to the shops and saw him across the road. Is that Quavo? Kind of what it felt like because I was thinking like, "Oh, it's the Eurovision. The last thing I'm going to see here is Quavo." Like, oh. and he was kind of like, "Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here." I was like, "No, it isn't. It isn't Quavo. No, no." What are you um, doing? Yeah, well, obviously, Madonna was getting a lot of stick for being involved in Eurovision um, because it was being held in Tel Aviv prior to her performance. Um, she came out and delivered a theatrical performance of her classic single, Like a Prayer, and new track, Future, which we're all excited about. One is good. <laughs> one is not. <laughs> which one? At one point during a spoken word segment, she said, They are so naive. They think we are not aware of their crimes. We know, but we're just not ready to act. The storm isn't in the air. It's inside of us. I want to tell you about love and loneliness, but it's getting late now. Can't you hear outside of your supreme hoodie the wind that's beginning to howl? I'm pretty sure that's a Jonathan Safran for our email. <laughs> My question for the organizer of Eurovision, you know this is going to be a politically f- fraught event. Why are you inviting known provocateur Madonna yeah. to perform at your event? Maybe they thought was, they were getting Madame X. Yeah, he, he was like, <laughs> he's like, ah, oh, she's very blunted, you know, these days, doesn't have much to say. Uh, the Iceland, Especially when she's in album mode. The, she's <laughs> the Iceland act, who I believe did some kind of BDSM uh thing for their yeah, big show. they had oh, a Palestinian flag as well, which was much... When yeah. they were kind of shown, like, and you can vote for Iceland, they held the Palest- uh, Palestinian flags, mm. and everyone was like, fair play to them. I'm like, yeah. no, no, they still participate it's in the fucking like, Yeah, you put <laughs> a boycott. <laughs> um, also, the Eurovision organisers came out and said... They this could is not face, in keeping with the competition rules. But the Iceland could face punishments, and they weren't really specific, so it sounded vaguely threatening, I don't know. Maybe they sent Madame X to get them, I don't know. Back yeah. to your dungeon. Um, she's def- Madonna has since defended um, her performance, um, saying Madame X is a freedom fighter. <laughs> I am grateful for the opportunity to spread the message of peace and unity with the world. So, uh, yeah, job well done, I suppose. Ariana Grande hasn't been up to much lately, but she's reportedly being sued by a photographer after the pop giant posted a photograph he had taken of her. (laughs) Yeah, the singer faces legal action from paparazzo Robert Barbera, uh, who alleges that she violated copyright law by posting two pictures of herself on social media. Uh, Now, this kind of comes down to the fact that uh, there were photos from 2018 when she was walking out of a building while holding a bag sporting the name of her Sweetener album. Um, I think he's taking a particular interest because she then posted the pictures on Instagram and Twitter uh, to coincide with the record's release. So I think his case is that 
it was essentially promotional stuff and it should be tied into the royalties of the album which is crazy but also yeah. I was taking a photograph of you on the street yeah, as a yeah like a slug that I am yeah it's give not me exactly money. yeah this isn't like someone like putting photographs up that a concert photographer has taken and not crediting the photographer like that's mm. bad practice of course yeah I'm not on this guy's side uh, why bite the hand the feeds? Like, surely you make a living spying Ariana Grande on the street, taking pictures of her. Why, <laughs> why do this? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, well, do you think that would harm his future work? Like, will people uh, despise him even more when he's on the street in front of her gaff? Like, <laughs> I suppose paparazzis don't really have the best working reputation, do they? Maybe, maybe there's a weird subculture that we don't know here, and people are kind of like. No, you don't understand, Miss Grande. That's a that's a Robert Barbera original. <laughs> <laughs> he has captured the form here. Yeah, so he's suing her for damages mounting to either twenty five thousand uh, dollars or all the profits Grande earned from the photos, which means that he could potentially um, have a cut of the album's first day sales, which right? would probably be Sorry. huge. I guess I don't know. Oh yeah, I'd say so. Am I right in saying that Taylor Swift has uh, at her gigs says she owns the copyright on anything taken from like the press pit? I, that may be that, true. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I mean, that would be an extreme step to take. But yeah. I feel like there's, there's a middle ground have, we should be... You usually have a Beyonce's situation done that, where, hasn't she? Yeah, but you also have a situation where generally, uh, when, when we had Ruth Mejbear on the show before, she was noting that like you have 30 seconds to shoot Beyonce. Mm. A yeah. designated 30 seconds, and that's it. And with those ones, I'm, I, don't know if, I don't know if you can sell them by yourself. I, it wouldn't shock me if there was some degree of that's actually mine as well or more mine. Well, it comes down to, you know, when the photographers do that kind of gig, they're getting a pass and they're entering into a contract. So it's oh, a yeah, mutual thing of like context, what they are doing yeah. is creating a piece of art that usually they just by default own because it is like mm-hmm. a creative pursuit. Speaking in the case of a paparazzo. Uh, of kind of something like this. Yeah. Uh, before we started recording, Richard Ashcroft oh, yeah. took to Twitter to post a press release and said it gives me great pleasure to announce that as of last month Mick Jagger and Keith Richards have agreed to give me their share of the song Bittersweet Symphony this remarkable and life-affirming turn of events was also was made possible by a kind and magnanimous gesture from Mick and Keith who have also agreed that they are happy for the writing crowd to exclude their names and all their royalties derived from the song will now pass to me I'd like to thank the main players in this, blah, 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 blah. And one more thanks to Mick and Keith. Music is power, says Richard Ashcroft, who presumably is about to get a fucking Scrooge McDuck bank vault installed (laughs) next to his gaff and fill it to the brim. I saw that just before um, I left for the podcast and I was kind of weirdly filled with a sense of like, oh, brilliant, good for him. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It seems so outrageous. That he like he had to surrender all the royalties. Yeah, for, for anyone who doesn't know, Bittersweet yeah. Symphony, obviously the verse, breakthrough yeah. and biggest hit, and a fucking incredible song. Yeah, it to is. Be fair. Yeah. That genuinely holds up all these years later. Uh, I believe the story was it sampled the Rolling Stones thing. It sampled it, the last time, apparently. Yeah, I, I could what never it, make sense of what. Yeah, it, what, it, what the it actually, actually does was. is it sam- it samples an orchestral cover of the last time that I think their the Rolling Stones producer did separately from the band. So right. it's like it's got this. It's not even I think the main riff. It's like the kind of bed, like the orchestral bed underneath the track is taken from a record of Rolling Stones orchestral covers. So it's a real weird situation. Like thus, Mick and Keith yeah. got most of the royalties from that. <laughs> I think, <laughs> but I think over the years it was kind of said, even from Richard Ashcroft, that like the band themselves had no real say in it, or they didn't take the action to be. I'd heard the, I'd heard that it was kind of a real like we're taking all of that now, mate. Uh, rock and roll from the band. I, I think I, it was I swear a record label thing. I swear I read an interview with Keith Richards in which he kind of like basically was like yeah that's that's mine well you, you talk about the Scrooge McDuck bank fault but is this backdated or ne- no, they no, saying no, from no, now it's on it's only from now on are so we sure because so, so he 
first did 20 say, years of viability. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, have they reached a point where they're like, okay, it's not making that much money, just give it to him. He said all royalties from it will, like, derived from it will now pass to me. So, so now, now is the key word there. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Because I kind of read it there as like, oh my God, it's like getting the dole and being like, here you go. <laughs> So, it's like getting the dough. Well, it's like getting a particularly good version <laughs> yeah, of the dough. Yeah. Anyway, the song's most profitable years benefited Mick and Keith mostly, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a Pyrrhic victory for Richard Ashcroft. Maybe some well, bands gonna, can use it in an ad going to start li- licensing it in ads. Yeah. Left, right, and center. You know? Yeah. Amidst all this craziness, the Whitney Houston hologram is about to clank Enter in. the room <laughs> for an interview. <laughs> Repla- it's going to replace me. <laughs> I, I can't even joke about this because no, it's just it's, awesome. it's just it's, cruel, it's awful, deeply yeah. morbid. Uh, I, where do you stand on holograms, George? Uh, I think that two-pack hologram was one of the worst things that has ever happened. I'm glad it hasn't been capitalized on as much as I probably thought it would have been at the time. Roy Orbison hologram as well. Who's who's the Roy Orbison hologram touring with? Ollie Murs? Oh, really? No. He's touring with another hologram. I can't remember who it is. Oh, really? like, yeah, another hologram? There's two, two holograms. First one, yeah. <laughs> That's an easy rider to lay on the venue. <laughs> the Roy Orbison uh, one six pack de- didn't, didn't make any sense to me because of all the performances you could get where you would want a visual representation, Roy Orbison, this dude in like humongous glasses who just stood stock still with his guitar yeah. not moving whatsoever. Hardly the most dynamic performer. Easy night's work for the hologram major, <laughs> yeah, or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Whitney Houston's estate has a hologram tour and an album's worth of unreleased material. Cha-ching! Pat Houston, the sole executor of the late singer's estate, has guy, I'm sure. plans to also release a musical and a Vegas-style spectacle. It's been quite emotional for the past seven years, he said, somehow composing himself with an interview with the New York Times, referencing the estate's lack of asset exploitation. But now, it's about being strategic. Ugh. What a fucking prick. <laughs> what a ghoul. Yeah, I mean, she was just so taken advantage of when she was living, and now it's just awful. this is happening. I it's hate so it. awful. Yeah, it's gross. Um, I can't remember where this, what stance the estate took on. Do you remember last year when Kanye bought um, yeah, he, that he, photo of like her bathroom like for Daytona's album cover? Yeah, uh, but did so? Didn't someone from the family come out and say this was highly disrespectful? Or Definitely, I'm yeah. not sure if it yeah. was this Pat Houston guy who accepted the money as well, but. Yeah, well, I, I don't know who the executor, executive of the trust yeah. is, but you know, I assume it's not. I, I'm still not sure how family. I feel about that usage. It kind of made sense with the album's teams, and it was done in an artistic way, or was it just gross? I felt it was kind of gross. Kind of gross. Kind of shock yeah. value. It I don't even look at album covers anymore, really. No, it doesn't hold up well. <laughs> uh, on a future no popcorn, Dave Higgins and I are going to be tackling both Whitney Houston documentaries. So that's going to be a fun episode. Um, Pat also said before she passed, there was so much negativity around the name. It wasn't about the music anymore. People forgotten how great she was they let all the personal things about her life outweigh while they fell in love with her in the first place so this is a make Whitney Houston great again plan involving a fucking hologram yeah. so I wish making, somebody would just stop so making Whitney like joy from Blade Runner 2049 is the way we bring bring the conversation back to the music Christ Oh, it's awful. Okay, let's talk about a uh, fitting tribute. Um, this is an Easy E bench update. Um, we talked some time ago about um, this campaign to get uh, a statue, um, which was then downsized to a memorial bench dedicated to Easy E in the town of New Haven, Sussex, uh, in Britain. <laughs> 
We now get word that, yeah, it's happening, or might have already happened. It was happening this week. Um, Guy Stevens has been successful in his bid to get his local council to remember the uh, controversial NWA rapper who died in 1995. Um, Just do it, he told the New Haven Town Council, um, as reported in February. Get a statue or a plaque up. Why not? You just wasted money on a bandstand on Denton Island. No one cares about it, so why not an easy memorial? And they were like, he makes a point. (laughs) Are people going to make the pilgrimage from Compton to, to Brighton now? To I think we should. <laughs> he needs to be remembered in some way in our town. We have nothing going for us and no notable landmarks other than a fort. And Easy E is a legend. Yeah. These are all compelling arguments. <laughs> the council previously said they had no idea who Easy E is. Uh, Deputy Mayor Graham Amy said in February, I've lived all of my life in New Haven and I've never heard of him. Not a clue. Because when you're in New Haven, you can't get outside news from the world. I'm 72 years old, more of a Beatles fan than anything. If I had my way, I would have statues to them around the town. Stevens responded by saying, the Beatles suck. <laughs> a man after that, my own heart. That is wonderful. Also, I'm sorry, if I had my way, there'd be statues of them around the town. This yeah, town. just everywhere. We Going to boots, there's Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love if that was the thing though if like if you were like provincial mayor or something like each new person had to had to erect some kind of monument towards their particular niche musical yeah, interest mm-hmm. you fantastic know? Roy Orbison hologram just flickering all day long <laughs> Can I please die please uh, there's a few more stories that I'm not going to do because yeah, we're kind of running frivolous. out of time uh, Ice-T almost shot an Amazon driver which just made me think about Ice-T's annoying Twitter presence and also the fact that brands always get involved now like oh good to thanks for being with us yeah the, it was like the tweet back to him was awful awful uh, yeah, Anne-Marie awful. Waters thanked Morrissey for his controversial support of For Britain. Yeah, she's a racist if you don't know her. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and Sir Rod Stewart donated uh, £10,000 to a model railway club whose exhibition was destroyed by vandals. I- I'm going to focus on this one for a second because, yes. you know, it- it's-, it's always the ones you least suspect. You interviewed Joe Duffy before. I did, for a train magazine. Um, Go Rail. So you know um, a Game of Thrones film? <laughs> he should have been actually that would have been amazing talk to Joe just as he like kills them um, Joe Duffy sends his regards yeah I interviewed him about his um, favourite tra- train journey which I don't recall at the moment and I got what I needed and the conversation was coming to a close and I was like thanks Joe I've got everything I need and then he kind of hesitated and said uh, I-, I collect model trains <laughs> and I was like alright this interview is doubling in length <laughs> if that might interest you yeah. uh, Rod Stewart is also in- into this business here the 74 year old singer who's playing Cork on the day of this podcast drop the day after Saturday I think Okay, uh, nice plug and there you go <laughs> go to Rod Stewart gotta pay for all those trains uh, and model railway enthusiast it says here says he was absolutely devastated by the attack on this model train set uh, four youths were arrested on suspicion of burglary and criminal damage. Sir Rod, who had a hit with Downtown Train in 1990, <laughs> said, I was Tom a- absolutely devastated here. The Valentine's Story was supposed to be a lovely show. It took me 23 years to build my model railway, so I feel their pain. This collection was priceless, and I'm donating £10,000 to help compensate those affected and asking fellow enthusiasts, <laughs> Jules Holland yep. and Roger Daltrey, of course. to do the same. <laughs> Famous trout farmer Roger Daltrey and famous piano man Jules Holland. It actually gets really, it gets really horrible here, where it's like grown men and women had been quote reduced to tears. Yeah, it is awful to be honest. By like, what happened? Um, people get very into it and lay off vandals. Yeah, not great. It's quite sad, really. But Rod, he seems like an overgrown child, doesn't he? Doesn't he have, like, a proper full-size football pitch outside his gaff? I think I remember talking about that, and he's just like, I realised quite quickly that you need, like, 22 or 21 other men to make any use of this whatsoever. (laughs) So sometimes I just go out and run around it with the dog. (laughs) 
people should not have this much money. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So uh, before we get to songs of the week, our album of the week this week, which we'll be getting to later yes. on, comes from Hayden Thorpe of Wild Beast fame, his debut solo record called Diviner. But first, songs of that week. Craig, what you got for me? Um, very excited about the release of this man's latest album, Igor. Um, this is track three from that. Uh, it's called I Think, and this is Tyler, the creator. Such a distraction. That's what Tian are. Fucking up my ambiance. Pause. You drop me cuckoo and I call. Cause I want you like Leon. Okay, say dinner. Okay, wait a minute. I drip that shit. I am on. Walk curiosity. Keep the feeling. So, yeah, that's maybe one of the pastier kind of tracks on this new work. Um, It's quite Neptune's indebted, I guess. Um, But I guess it captures the tone of the record quite a lot. This is Tyler very much stepping away from the rap genre, um, as he kind of seemed like he might do um, after the release of his last album, Flower Boy, which saw him kind of mixing in more jazz and funk and really kind of doubling down on his production skills. I mean, that seems where his real focus is. Um, I think it's a great record overall. Um, I've seen a lot of people say this would be a 10 out of 10, like perfect 10, uh, if he just got other people to sing for him. There's very little rapping. It's very little lyrical content. It's an album about, I guess, unrequited love with him crooning away. Um, I got a sense, it sounded a lot to me like two Kanye songs in particular. Yeah. Uh, Addiction and Love Lockdown. Just that rhythm through it, yeah. I had that rhythm. I haven't actually really engaged with Tyler since maybe the kind of goblin bastard era. Yeah, he's changed. He's he's (laughs) changed a lot. Like I missed Flower Boy, but you know, I've... have the understanding that he's changed a lot as a person and uh, well maybe not as a person but he's changed his persona a lot as it were and but this this song was really good I, I really liked it but I take that point that probably get someone else to sing the hooks yeah he did the he did some like surprise show in the UK there at the weekend that had to be shut down pretty quickly uh, well he Maybe. was banned from the UK for by Theresa May by Theresa May for <laughs> his like lyrical content in the past which had um, ironically a lot of kind of homophobic stuff because his last this record and his last one seems to suggest he is now an out gay man um, but yeah he was completely banned from playing in the UK I guess that was lifted I don't. I didn't know what happened at the show itself was there some disturbance or I just was the thought, actual like, ban develop- not lifted I just saw it develop on Twitter I think it was some, no no I think the band's been long lifted as far as I'm aware but he basically was just in some random pop-up show that apparently mm. got shut down just because he tweeted out like, oh, I'm going to be in this place doing this show and right. predictably enough, like hundreds Hel- of people Health and safety, up. political yeah. correctness gone mad. Funny enough, there was actually a petition to get a bench in Theresa May's constituency. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I think he's like a fascinating artist. Um, I've never fully got it. I mean, with this one as well, I kind of slept on the album this week until my housemate this morning was basically saying to me, have you heard it yet? And I said, no. And he's like, throw it on. He's like, it's short. You know, like it's, it's immediately arresting. Yeah. Give it a go. And I was like, fine, okay, grand, cool. And I threw it on and I was like, actually, this is immediately arresting. It actually starts off in kind of a weird, like, VHS tape being loaded into a broken machine way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a weird, like, cause I found myself being like, is this on? Like, I was just, like, throwing my headphones on and then, like, trying to listen to it on my speakers. And then I was like, no, no, I guess he's going for some atmosphere thing here. But no, no, it kind of grabbed me. I mean, like, I don't know Tyler enough to properly critique him. I don't quite know what he stands for. I know more the character of him and obviously the kind of um, scrapes he's gotten himself into over the years. Yeah, yeah. The column inches that have derived from that. And I wonder how compelling he is. I, I, I understand that criticism of people kind of wanting something more smoother or cleaner or whatever. But at the same time, that's kind of... 
a really reductive criticism of someone, yeah. like to try and rob them of their voice. This is I his agree. voice, and, yeah, I, and I think he carries it very well. He's got serious. This is a great track. He has tremendous command on it, and from the couple of spins I have given the album, I was actually like, oh, hang on, wait a minute, maybe I'm just I've, I've been completely avoiding this for no reason. Yeah, and I think the fact he's kind of he's a bit of an authority, like he's doing pretty much everything himself. Uh, there's some guest spots and stuff, but they don't really like they just kind of add some flavor. Um, but he's going down a weird kind of Stevie Wonder production songwriting route. I think there's huge potential with this direction he's going. And he's also seemed to be, George, as you say, and Dave, like, is it just a kind of new persona he's pursuing? Or is he actually opening up and maturing? And the dude's released like five albums. He's still only 28. 28 he seems to be in a much better place. I mean, the themes of this are pure kind of love. He's actually talking about other people in a way that shows empathy and stuff. He just yeah. seems to be maturing overall as a human being, so it's interesting to see where it'll go. Well, you think about when Odd Future came out, like, it's come out to a decade ago now, yeah. which is crazy to me, but, like, you couldn't you couldn't last in that kind of, in that in that lane for as long as he has. He had, you have to evolve beyond that. You can't be so confrontational and yeah. just, you know, corrosive. 100%. But, um, I'm uh, yeah, I want to check him out more anyway. Mm. Vampire Weekend's album seems to keep haunting this podcast weeks on because <laughs> Steve Lacey, one of the collaborators, is back on his own terms. The song is called Playground. So, Craig, uh, if anyone came to Follow the Bride and didn't know who Steve Lacey was, did they get enough of an impression of him? How would you even describe this person? Uh, Steve Lacey is a 20-year-old man from Compton uh, who now resides in Southern California um, in a much nicer location, kind of tapping into classical funk, um, soul, throwback stuff from way before he was born. He is a member of the internet, which is probably where he's most known from. Um, on this track, um, taken from his debut album, I think he's put out a few mixtapes before, but this like his major kind of release. He's saying he's going through a kind of Prince phase. Um, it, it it's out right now as you listen to this, and I expect it to do big things because he seems like a big kind of promising voice. The Prince thing is definitely yeah, yeah. like the the those kind of bangs of seventies funk and uh, more the mm. I think the audaciousness that can that can come with that territory. Uh, as someone who like I, I like the internet album like we did the last one that came out and yeah I made my famous house analogy that kind of blew up in my face in in, in amusing <laughs> fashion and I mean yeah I didn't quite know what to expect from this and I kind of when I heard the kind of the trappings of it I instantly just imagined it in that time and I figured like yeah like it's it's era centric in that regard and I think it would it would totally work I don't know if I'm blown away by it I don't know if I'm blown away by him as a individual really yeah. as someone who mm-hmm. can kind of pull the thread of a track it felt more like oh the production's nice here and like the the movements it's doing are kind of good but like I, I just found myself kind of unable to really kind of harness it into anything mm. um, let me say I'm not really a fan of Childish Gambino's music but I think this is the kind of blissed out 
psychedelic funk that Charles Gambino kind of thought he was making with the last couple of albums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that yeah, would be my takeaway from it. But uh, Steve Lacey, very talented guitarist, and I really like Sunflower. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of kind of Thundercat vibes off this as well, the psychedelic stuff. Uh, less, less jazzy, less less chaotic, but yeah. yeah, for sure. And some proper Seinfeld bass as well. Always welcome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's of fair course, yeah. Uh, Slapping that bass. You say you like Sunflower. What did you make of the Vampire Weekend record? I haven't really listened to it. I've listened to it maybe twice three times okay. and uh i'm generally genuinely liking it so far but okay. um i've probably listened to modern vampires and contra more than i have far for the ride I, yeah i feel like <laughs> in the last some, few weeks sorry george i feel like sunflower might have been the nadir for you was it the that's how it goes um yeah yeah it wasn't crazy on it i think it was more like um that and like the heim stuff and just the kind of you know, like all like the Johnny and June shit that he was doing for no reason. I wasn't yeah. crazy on. Are you like mm-hmm. are you, like week on week? You come back to it. Are you like oh now it's a seven point five? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm still listening to it. Well, I've I've done my rework. Did you give it an eight? What did you give it? I gave my rework uh, eight point five, verging on a nine. You gave, I stripped it of. You gave your own. Oh, sorry. Rework. <laughs> yeah, I fixed it. <laughs> How many tracks is your rework? Uh, Eleven. I think. Craig does this. Craig takes long albums and and tightens them up. I don't do it too often. Chop I think. and screw them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Life of Pablo and this might have been the only ones well, possibly I think Pablo needed it to be fair. I probably have yeah um, but you know what it works fine <laughs> does the return of the hives <laughs> does that work let's find out so did you miss me boys and girls I crawl out over on the world and I'm track is called I'm Alive. The Hives were a band that I stumbled upon, me and me alone of course, not the rest of the world. Back when uh, they released that compilation of their first two records, which over here Your new favourite band? Your new favourite band, I think was the name of it, yeah. And it was like fucking 21 minutes long or something ridiculous like that. It had Hate to Say I Told You So on it, which of course was their breakthrough hit. Mm -hmm. One of the first songs I learned to ever play on the drums. Oh. And One of the difficult. first songs I learned playing guitar. <laughs> no, it's, I think. It's really? Yeah, yeah all should, those bar chords. Where, we where should we? form a band. Yeah. Yeah. band. Yeah. 15 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I like. No, it was like a fun tune to play on the old drums. Uh, Dial Right is a harder song to play on drums from the same record, which is a fucking unreal belt. Main song. Offender on that as well. Main Offender's yeah, on they there. They had some tunes. They have some absolute. Two Time in Touch on that one is on the next one. Next one, yeah. I think that was Tyrannosaurus Hives. Of course. Yeah, they're a band that kind of came along and obviously like had their thing. And there's some great anecdotes about them in that Meet Me in the Bathroom book as well of just yeah. all the other cooler bands looking at them and just being like what the fuck are these guys Jack, <laughs> all in suits I think yeah, Jack White was suits. like what the fuck are these guys doing yeah and if anyone should have been like I get it it should have been Jack White with his Jack red White. red, black and white <laughs> well like, just, I think you know, they've kind of gone a poster in chief I think they've yeah. kind of cribbed from him now because this track to me is very like raconteur's light word. yeah it's that garage rock with some blues I was anticipating mm. a much poppier a much more kind of catchy like fun song I don't know what they're going for here I don't think it's necessarily bad but like they've had their day for sure oh, a long yeah. time ago oh for sure like um but this isn't gonna bring them back but i don't know I, I, it, it just this sounds very the vines very the raconteur is very like it's enemy yeah. it's got a stooges thing to me like yeah. it's just disappointing to hear that they're still going 
kind of <laughs> you know they they seem like kind of the archetypal burnout not fade away band you just want that kind of two minute hit of pure adrenaline you don't want to see these guys they in there they worked with fucking Timberland like a few years ago like yeah. they've missed me with that I, I didn't, didn't see that at all they've had some really bad songs over the years like Walk Idiot Walk is absolutely terrible oh That's god really, yeah but it, that was the thing They're be- they reached a point quite quickly where their better songs they were essentially just recycling their better songs but doing slightly more like novelty versions of them because they couldn't come up with any new ideas so I don't know what yeah, I don't hold out any great promise yeah. for this record if you know if full length follows they had limited tools and they kind of reworked them they're like Marge Simpson with her Chanel suit you know just kept, <laughs> yeah. kept redoing it but uh, I don't this is just it's has no dynamism at all. I don't caric- know what they're really doing. Caricature rock. Yeah. Howlin' Pal of Amquist. Go get your fucking P45, says George Moran. <laughs> Not the greatest week for tunes. Hopefully your album's a bit better. As Hold noted. on. Tyler was good. It was good. Right. So it's not the greatest right. week we've ever had. It wasn't like Fine. it was only three of them as well. Yeah, like Seven a, out of ten. It wasn't like a full house round. <laughs> All right, I apologize. Our album this week is the debut album from Hayden Thorpe, previously of Wallaby's fame, where he was a co-frontman. Definitely more of the falsetto variety in that act. We're big fans of Wild Beasts. We want a lot for this guy. Let's take a listen. How would you describe Hayden Thorpe in ways that I didn't? Um, <laughs> falsetto is a good start. Um, kind of one half of the vocal talent of Wild Beasts. Uh, a thoughtful dude. I guess he led that Wild Beast charge of um, quite high-minded art rock at times, but also with a good deal of kind of carnal stuff to what they for were sure, doing. Sure, for sure, yeah. Um, and it was interesting to see the band obviously kind of wrapped it up about this time last year with a kind of goodbye farewell tour amicably i guess um it it seemed like you know material from him would follow quite quickly on the heels and i was kind of interested to see if we could read anything into why the band fell apart or anything the press release for this kind of says this is like a a shocking departure or a startling departure i was like i wasn't really that surprised to be quite honest yeah not at all i think it kind of perfectly delineates separates what hayden brought to the band yeah and doesn't really add to anything more to than that you know yeah yeah um it's an interesting one because he's kind of stripping away that carnal stuff and a lot of the rockier elements. Um, this to me picks up from, you know, the Well Beast's last record, uh, Boy King, was quite audaciously kind of just um, almost plastic rock. And I think they're going for a kind of gauche, just like sleazy thing of, I remember one of his quotes was, you know, we became the band we never wanted to be and they were just kind of almost like ladding it up a bit and having fun with it. Um, but that album clo- uh, album closes with um, Dreamliner, which is just a pure kind of piano tune, very stripped back. Um, and this sounds like he's just dusting off the same piano and whipping it out for the opening track, uh, the title track, Diviner. It's very thoughtful. 
I guess thematically the lyrics are moving away from pure relationship stuff to more existential things and religion and thoughts of mortality and I think there's still a lot of intimacy in his lyrics there's still that kind of yeah, same yeah he's never going to get away from that still yeah. that same kind of evoca- evocation of um, touch and taste you know that kind of tactile stuff sense stuff being in your mouth yeah, yeah yeah a lot of that but I, I take your dreamliner point uh, and I I applaud it because that's exactly <laughs> that's kind of the whole uh, musical palette of it is that those kind of keys with a little bit of synth on top as well. Yeah. Very little guitar. I suppose it, it takes away, there's not really the same kind of uh, dynamism, the same kind of intricacy that of Wild Beast's best stuff. It's, it's yeah. very much just him and his voice and, you know, very, very kind of, I don't want to say middle of the road, but very kind of restrained. It's kind of uh, adult contemporary tempo. pop, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow, I'm, what does that say about me? Because this really, really worked for me. I thought it was... Oh, I haven't said anything bad about well, it. I'm <laughs> getting the vibe that, that, that you're kind of like, you know, throwing a, you're throwing like some tarp over that piano, you know? Go on, go on. Uh, I, I was really impressed by his just kind of ownership of this, really, and at times how... Because, I mean, Wabi's always had that really nice kind of back and forth thing. I, and I, obviously, I, I thought both... Torp and Tom um, Fleming, Tom Fleming yeah. complement each other incredibly well with his more kind of like you know, earthier bossa kind of, nova yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. stuff he was doing and his own audaciousness uh, on tracks like All the King's Men where you're just like whoa where'd that come from and Hayden was always the kind of the 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 really kind of avant-garde Sunday Times Culture Magazine yeah, uh, theatrical grounder <laughs> in, in some respects while also <laughs> flying his own kind of unique wings I guess uh, on this one I mean like if you want to make any kind of uh, sound like comparisons like at the times when he goes down the Anani route I thought quite a bit hmm. uh, which uh, which brought that to mind and like Anani and back as well in the Auntie and the Johnsons days like one of the most incredible evocative songwriters and someone who also would execute that vision incredibly well uh, I'm not quite sure Hayden is on that level on his debut but I think that he has managed to kind of sit in that room with that piano and craft some absolutely elegant in, in, in beauty here. And uh, cl- like to jump forward to towards the end of the record, like it's not a very long record. It's ten tracks, which you know, always a big fan. Um, <laughs> brevity, brevity is always good. Um, the the penultimate track on this one is, is an instrumental called "Spherical Time," which apparently he was working on since he was a teenager, or at least first started writing the bones yeah. when he was a teenager. It's definitely the most sonically memorable. It's track. also really close to and I mean this with the highest of compliments like because it reminded me of and definitely has shared sonic DNA with but I think it's not too far off being as good as uh, Song for Bob by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis off the Assassination Jesse James by the Carrot Robert Ford soundtrack which is a track that continues to just fucking break my heart brilliantly a known handwriting favourite oh it's Mm. just magnificent like and like like for him to kind of uh, pull something like that out of the bag towards the end I thought was just really really um, like impressive uh, and composed on his behalf and the closing track Impossible Object is is, is another in the, the long great tradition of great closing tracks I mean I agree that he's not doing much revolutionary here but I wasn't expecting him to I, I i think this works i mean especially coming after boy king i think to just strip it all back and find himself in that room and just kind of have that conversation with himself which is i think that's what he's doing i was really really impressed by this yeah i mean he worked with um leo abrahamson's um who was producer on smother um a present tense which is probably I guess maybe they chimed a lot uh, the records prior to Boy King and you hear a lot of that picked up here. Yeah, I think it contains actually some of his best writing. Uh, like a song like Love Crimes immediately is just impactful to me. Um, he's always been a fascinating writer because he does that kind of elusive... Like he's just, in his voice and in his lyrics, he's a very suggestive like presence. Do you know what I mean? He alludes to a lot. 
um there's kind of something he's like an alchemist or something um it's never quite straightforward and keeps you guessing even mm. the kind of rhythm uh of his vocals there's a lot of kind of syncopation and oh, off the like, beat stuff that hooks you immediately he is um, like he's the fucking human cadence of a calligraphy pen yeah yeah he, yeah there's always one. a threat there as well you know what i mean uh, yeah there's it's it, just something you feel like there's kind of like, like examinations and cruelty half the time he's just mm. like yeah like even mm. the kind of tenderness he's talking about is done with some hint of something else going on like the, it's so open that it's it's almost just unnerving you know yeah times. yeah but I, um when you mentioned Leo abraham's there like it, i said earlier that it sounded a lot like dreamliner but it does take a lot of smother from it yeah and i suppose smother ends with end come too soon doesn't it and yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole part of that song is like just just destroying it and then building it back up again so i would not be surprised if we kind of get that in a macro form over the course of his solo career him just kind of building out from this kind of nub yeah. of um, artistry yeah. he has here. I, I guess at times, uh, you know, the production is so sparse um, that I just felt like I was probably calling out for some of that Wild Beast guitar or just something else to happen. I mean, he totally carries it and the songs themselves are grand, but production-wise, I just felt there could be more to some of these songs. Of course, but at the same time, I would I could listen to whatever he puts out like this is oh yeah if he put out an album like this every two years like kind of like beach house put out the same album every two years i'd be very happy with yeah, that, I'd be on board with that yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i wouldn't mind the opposite of that i wouldn't even mind if, if album number two was a bit more kind of band focused or you know had more kind of textures to it but ultimately with this one it just felt like he was trying to create a very small world and find his feet in it which I think he's earned, especially coming like just two years after the last kind of Wild Beast release and yeah, a year yeah. after the, the band have broken up. Um, there's always going to be that problem for any artist who goes out on their own uh, and goes off to do something different. They will always be compared to what came before, especially if, when what came before was so beloved. I mean, we know that Wild Beast didn't quite crack the mainstream, not that they were ever really trying to. Mm. But that gig, that last show that they played was one of the best I've ever been to. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, it was very emotional incredible. night. <laughs> it's just incredible, like, from start to finish. It really was something special. They're one of the best bands of their generation. Legitimately, oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely legitimate. To my mind, the best British band in the past decade. Definitely, in the, com- yeah. definitely in the conversation, yeah. Conversation. And I think for him to kind of go off, I mean, like, it almost needed to be this naked, this wounded, and this just kind of like, here's me, here's a piano. It's funny because I read one review of this that was saying, like, oh, occasional piano flourishes. And I was like, motherfucker, this is the whole album's <laughs> it's a piano album. <laughs> it's most like from Diviner until like, <laughs> like does, possible object, yeah. it's all piano. It kind of doubles down on that Kate Bush influence as well, a lot. I, I found like it reminded me of like Great. Sexual Worlds and yeah, the red shoes where, um, like this woman's work and stuff like that some of those you know mm. it sounds like a piano being played in a kind of Victorian home that's seen a few tragedies kind of thing yeah like I mean we've said this before about Dreamliner but you could really hear the keys and you can hear the keys on this on this album as well he also manages to make it not grim which I think was like it could have been really life sapping and like insular and kind of dark yeah. It's not a fucking, you know, blast out of the car summer album or anything. Well, there's always kind of like a bit of mischief about him or something. I don't know if it's just his way with imagery where you kind of everything becomes like fetishized or something. Like there's always, it feels like there's a punchline to most of his lines. So how does he get away with it and say Moby doesn't? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Some guys just he's have a it. Puck. I guess. Yeah. Uh, really, really like it. Want to hear more. We'll go see him live if he's doing solo stuff. Eight out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it an eight. Like I just felt like with some bigger kind of band production and choices this could have been phenomenal but i really really liked it eight yeah. i give it a six uh first song is in my name i just love that kind of celestial piano at the end but um too much rep- repetition okay. and but still a lot of promise i think and you know 
you know, I write for Wild Beasts till the end. <laughs> so I'm going to listen to anything. He's going to be all right. I think. They're gone, fine, George. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get over it. This episode of No Encore was engineered by Sonic Architect Eve Murray. In the other listening corner, I finally got around to the film If Beale Street Could Talk, which is directed by Barry Jenkins, based on a novel by James Baldwin. Uh, Barry Jenkins made Moonlight. Yeah, and yeah. this is another uh, exploration of the African-American experience and the struggles that come within. It is... Has anybody seen it? Just yeah. Um, seen it, overly episodic and broken up for me, but that kind of 20-minute section with Brian Tyree Henry just blew me away. I mean, yeah, it's told in a non-linear narrative, which I didn't need, mm. but uh, it's basically about a young couple and the girl in question, played by a new actress called Kiki Lane, who I cannot believe wasn't like Oscar-nominated for this performance, um, gets pregnant and they kind of, uh, like, tragedy befalls them, essentially, and they try and get on with their lives. Uh, it's very... I'm giving nothing away there, but um, effectively, yeah, it's told non-linear, which I didn't need, uh, but when it hits, it hits, and it is one of the most stunning-looking films I've ever seen. The cinematography oh, is, is such exceptional. a deep colour palette. But the reason I mention all this is because the score by uh, Nicholas Bertel, I think is the name, um, is fucking amazing. Like, from yeah. the opening moments of this movie, uh, it this the music in this lives within you and crawls inside and makes you like feel all kinds of different emotions. It was lovingly done. The whole film appears to be lovingly done. You could tell everyone who worked on it, even the scenes with the two families in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just something kind of Shakespearean about that, and just the yeah. the, the use of music to elevate the, the sequences and, and also just as a standalone piece. It's really really elegant string work, really really beautiful kind of movements and narratives. I cannot believe that the Black Panther soundtrack, uh, or rather the score for Black Panther, which is oh, fine. Or, yeah. yeah, it's just perfunctory. Like, Beat yeah. it to the Oscar. I was like, what? But no, amazing. And uh, as mentioned at the start of the show, a friend of the show, Kabina, who will be guesting soon, dropped his Four Poems EP. Uh, it contains the likes of The Say and Participant. And of course, Dahi's done remix work there as well. Well worth checking out. He's uh, an artist who's coming into his own. Go check out his stuff. Yeah, I've been listening to the Flaming Lips masterpiece, I guess, Soft Bulletin, just because it turned 20 at the weekend. There was lots of kind of revision pieces and stuff. And I, it's it's easy to look at, I guess, Wayne Coyne predominantly as the cartoon he has become in the years since and all the kind of baggage they have now. But it's such a tremendous, tremendous record. Like, I always think of it as a pair with Mercury Rev's Deserter songs from that just kind of late century um ambitious indie rock um kind of great kind of baroque pop writing with mix of psychedelia and yeah it blew me away it was just sounds it could be released today and still sound totally fresh so check that out if you haven't uh i've been keeping the game of thrones think piece and podcast industrial complex alive myself <laughs> but i can't get bjork's homogenic out of my head that's just been popping up in my head every every couple of hours it's not no, the worst thing in the world have to go back and listen to it again soon I yeah. think. speaking of game of thrones i think you have to say mvp raman jawadi for his work on the music, like uh, especially in this last season, over the course of the show, you a big fan of the Night King theme. The Night King theme is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Light of the Seven, everyone talks about from the Septa Baylor episode. The opening titles would always give you that kind of push. Mm-hmm. I was especially there's one the Stark theme, the way that they kind of interlinked it in the show. Like you get yeah. that sequence where John is revealed to be his parent is is revealed, and yeah, that. Spoiler alert! That kind, of, <laughs> that kind of cut was done so well. That kind of rising theme. They, they used that it really again. old baby to John. <laughs> that very old baby. Yeah, they used it again when he sang goodbye to Arya, which I thought was another very, very yeah. well done scene in, in the final episode. So yeah, they, like to be fair to Game of Thrones for all its flaws, when it was great, it was great, and there's a lot of craft in there. There's a lot of great acting, but the music really was fucking excellent at times. Have so, you got a favorite yeah, composition of his uh, in general? Uh, from the show. Um, I'd probably go with that Stark theme. I think it's just really fucking magnificently brought together. I'm not as big of a fan, but I do like 
the theme that Arya had during her years at the House of the Black and in Bla- House of Black and White, uh, kind of synthy, more synthy yeah. based. All those years we spent there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> paid then, off, man. And then I was watching the Battle of the Bastards the other day, and just that kind of uh, guitar theme that Ramsey has when he's about to, you know, bring out Rick on and all that. That was that was some really. But good guys, shit. what about that album inspired by Game of Thrones that came out recently? Uh, did anybody go near it? <laughs> yeah, apart from I that? Did. did you? I was going to be, like I was going to come on this and be like, uh, give my verdict on all the tracks like a halfway who's through. It? It's everyone from like the Lumineers to uh, the Weekend. It just doesn't work whatsoever. Every song is like I'll crowbar in how I yeah. know what the show is and like it's <laughs> dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. Well, the, the National did the Reigns of Castamere, didn't they? Which is great. And Cigaros uh, <laughs> also played the Reigns of Castamere at yeah. yeah, yeah, they there, did. There was a Florence and the Machine track recently, I think. Oh, they did the, the Jenny Voltstones. Didn't yeah, it? Which was fine. There's an episode that ends with a fucking Hold Steady track, which was bizarre. Yeah. Was the, bear, the Bear and the Maiden Fairy, when Jamie gets his hand cut off. Right, yeah. It cuts, it cuts to like... I do not remember that. Greg, like a, Greg fucking proops himself, like, you know. Similarly enough, there's a Mad Men episode that opens with a Decemberist song, and it's completely <laughs> anachronistic, and I'm just like, what's happening here? I've actually, uh, I, I kind of cobbled together a bit of a playlist on kind of movies uh, and TV and video game music, and I've thrown in a bunch of kind of Game of Thrones stuff in there as well, and uh, some there, there's some belters. I, I always come back to uh, Brothers in Arms from Mad Max Fury Road. That Brothers in Arms, intense. Like Dire Straits. Dire Straits. <laughs> no, it's not a cover. <laughs> Just that really intense, fucking like you know, uh, string work and like 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 very frenetic movements. Okay. Yeah, that was a great film. Can I say Dire, Dire Straits, Brother, Brother, Brothers in Arms slaps? <laughs> does oh it? yeah, does it? Yeah, though? it truly does. Used a very good use in the Americans series finale as well. You're a big Americans guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, Never watched it. Look, look too grim for me. Uh, it's pretty grim. Yeah. Speaking of too grim, by the way, before we go, I'm currently playing the Resident Evil 2 remake. You said it's phenomenal, yeah. It's really good, but it's, but in- it's so scary. Okay. <laughs> like it's so scary. I'm playing it like at night with my headphones on, and it's really, it's really hard and difficult, and it's also genuinely frightening. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to get scared, go play Resident Evil cool. too. You're gonna listen to Bjork instead. Our <laughs> exit music this week. A reminder, by the way, that next week we're not here, but Dahi has put together a very special episode that he's worked very, very hard on. So give him your love. The following week we'll be back with a full Cullum wedding breakdown and more. <laughs> Uh, our exit music this week comes from Dahi. <laughs> 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 he's uh, he's put out another new track. To be fair, it's been a while. Uh, so been a while. there it is. He's teamed up with Alvaretti for a track called Submarines. It's really, really good. It is really good. It actually. is really <laughs> fucking good. I mean, like, it's very hard to sit here with some kind it of death manic whatever, but like Dahi's making some really good music right now. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, like it's like it's some of his best work in the last kind of year or so. There is an album coming at the end of this year. And I think it'll stand to him incredibly well. I think that he's tapped into something that he hasn't tapped into before and has emerged as a really fucking good songwriter. Oh, stop him. Uh, so if you want to catch Dahi live, by the way, you can do that. He's everywhere, he's, folks. He's, he, I can't, he gave me his live dates to read out. <laughs> he's a fucking <laughs> asshole. Forbidden Fruit live band show on the 2nd of June. Uh, he's playing in County Meath on the 15th. He's doing the Mother Pride block party in Dublin on the 29th of June. The, the Galway Arts Festival supporting Orbital. Live band show July 27th. No Encore is also yeah, we're at that for July 27th, by the way. Can we watch the show for free? I assume uh, so. That'd okay. be, that, that's so he, the big perk. He's just playing County Meath in general. <laughs> yeah. All together now, he's playing there, full band as well, and Love Sensation on August the 17th. With more dates to come, follow Dahi on Twitter. Yeah, at and Dahi he'll Music. be at every motorway, like off-motorway plaza, r- rating and reviewing the restaurants you get along he's the way. He's actually planned, stations. Yeah, he, he's teased <laughs> reviewing a new one. I think it's the Kinnegad Plaza. He loves those plazas. <laughs> yeah, it's, Kinnegad's it's a ghost town. <laughs> anyway, uh, here's his new song, Submarines Already. Go give him lots of love next week. My name is David William Hanready. This has been the Encore. There'll be no Encore. See you in two weeks. 
podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.